0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. You have Alex Hurst, uh, Simon Campbell, and Mick Martin. And it's a little bit of a bonus free True Faith podcast as we head towards the end of the season. Last game on Sunday, and get into what we are going to talk about. We are live at the Stand Comedy Club on Tuesday. That's Tuesday the twenty fourth. Um, myself, Charlotte will be there. So you might be there. You haven't confirmed yet. Um, on stage with George Cotton, Craig Hope, and Mark Douglas. We're going to talk about this season, this ridiculous season that we've all witnessed, and uh, and look ahead to a quite a quite ridiculous summer ahead in terms of anticipation. Uh, so come along. Uh, be great to see everyone there. Already sold over 100 tickets. The stand is a fantastic venue. 15 pound a ticket, no booking fee or anything like that. You'll find the link to buy tickets in the description to this podcast. So I'll we'll see a few of you there on Tuesday. Hopefully, Mick, let's. We can't start without going back. We'll have a we'll have a, a look back at um at Monday night. One of the one of the great nights, and people are still talking about it five days on. Um, some discussion on social media under a few videos that we've done on YouTube when me and Charlotte, or Charlotte called it the best night of our life. Uh, <laughs> and People are saying, well, what about Barcelona? What about Juventus? And all of these fixtures. What about uh, David Kelly in 1992 um, or 91? And uh, it's very hard for us to answer those questions, Mick. So I thought I'd ask you one because you can give some perspective for what it was like to be in the ground on Monday compared to those famous nights. First of all, what did you make of Monday night as a, as a spectacle, as an atmosphere, as an event?
2: That's a very polite way of saying I'm old, Alex, (laughs) and you you wouldn't be wrong. Um, No, I think Monday night was one. I would put it definitely in my top 10 greatest atmospheres at the club, without a a shadow of a doubt. I think um, rather than kind of compare it to other great games that we've all been to, I would just say it was pretty unique uh, in a lot of different ways because uh, clearly the flag display eclipsed anything that's been done previously uh, at newcastle but i would say by anywhere in england to be honest um i've seen some great displays in from glasgow from celtic and rangers but um i thought um what the uh, war flags folks did on monday night was exceptional and that was un- that was unique i think what was really really great about it and I've i've had this kind of thought for a while about the flag displays is Sometimes I think when the flag displays are over and people sit down that's kind of the end of it and we haven't been as noisy as we could have been so I don't know if that's just me and my take but um, and that's not to disparage what the people are doing with the flags by any stretch of the imagination I think we all think it's brilliant. Um but what I noticed on Monday night was just how every part of St James's Park was singing. So you know the, the I could hear chance starting from the leasers, obviously. Um, but even the corporate bit of the Milburn, I could see them all up towards the game. And can you remember when Bruno brought, they brought the ball out uh, deep into the second half? I think we were winning uh 2-0 at that time. One it might have been one nil rather. Um, and he, he he kind of he made the player play him and then he went over and got a free kick and the Millburn went up you know, just in appreciation of how clever he had been. Um, so I think it was really, really unique. It was marvelous. The scenes afterwards were fantastic. I'm still getting used to the idea of applauding directors of the club <laughs> around the pitch like I think that, that'll take some time for me um, to get used to because of uh, history of the McKeegs and Westwoods and Halls and Shepherds and obviously um, a dearly departed fat bastard um, of this of this parish. <laughs> So um uh so unique yeah i mean for various different reasons um i've I've kind of loved being at St James's Park you mentioned the David Kelly game that was 92 uh the um the league cup semi final in 76 when they played spurs at st james's that was an unbelievable night barcelona juventus juventus is special for me because i took my daughter to that game one of the few games she's been at and we still talk about it because um, mm-hmm. she she buzzes off seeing her old man go crazy um so yeah i think it was just a fantastic night and i think what it demonstrates is is that when this club is united from boardroom to the lads in the corner to the suits in the milburn and uh, any and the the parents of the players the boxers etc when we're all together Castle United's a formidable place to come. And I think Arsenal shot it on Monday night. Um had some good players there, but I just don't think they knew what was going on.
1: Totally agree. And uh yeah, it's one of the few times I've thought against a good team anyway, that the the crowd really had an impact on the result. Uh, normally when you play these sides with Man City Cup James' St. James's Park, it, the crowd can help, but you know, there's only so much you can do against top quality, but now we are, we have some quality. Like you mentioned, that little—I um, t- don't know what it was—like a mid-air tackle from Bruno to nick the ball away from the lad who's about to shoot. It was like you know, this is quality that we haven't seen in a long, long time at St James's Park. So, just just unbelievable. Side. So, there's been a lot of um, you know discussion about next season. Obviously, that was kind of a, a statement performance, wasn't it? From Eddie Howe's side, because we'd seen them do it in spells of games. We'd seen them do it in the first half against Palace, uh, against Brighton in the first half. Um, you know, more consistently against Everton. But do you, do you think that's a little bit of a sign of next season that, that that kind of atmosphere, that kind of occasion, that kind of performance, like mix has every everything marrying up? Or do you think that was you know what we played a a decent team who had a shocker, and it's a really good result? But that you know. Where 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 does that performance rank for you in terms of like how realistic it is for this team moving forward?
3: Yeah, I, I think it was massive. We talked about on the preview is is what what are we trying to get out of this game? Because we had nothing to play for and they had everything to play for. And it's interesting because the discussion kind of went towards if we if we tail off this badly as the season ends, it could it could have a knockman effect in the next season. So it was very important that we got a result anyway, just so that we didn't end on a load of defeats. But um I also said before that game that this is kind of indicative of where we are, if we can give Arsenal a game. um We've already done it against Man United, West Ham, Chelsea, not so much Tottenham, but we basically have measured ourselves this season under Eddie Howe against that kind of second pack, if you like. All right, we, we, we didn't really lay a glove on Liverpool or Manchester City, but we've absolutely dominated Arsenal. We should have beat Man U at home. We should have got something at Chelsea away, and yeah, uh, we'll beat West Ham, beat Wolves, uh, beat Leicester, beat Brighton, and that's the top 10. So we have given all of those teams, we've taken points off most of them, and um, only Liverpool, Manchester City are out of sight at the moment. So that's a, that's a, a big thing for me, especially Arsenal going into their second-last game of the season with Champions League football literally in their hands and us snatching it away with nothing to play for. If we can do that with nothing to play for, it bodes very well when we've got a whole season in front of us and, and and something to play for. So, yeah, I think that was massive. And I think it was a massive indication of where we could be and what the ambition is, not to just let that game go because we didn't need to win it to say, well, you know what, we are here, we're, we're going to play with the big boys and this we might as well get started now. So, yeah, absolutely think that was a huge result for so many reasons.
1: Mate, there's been uh, national discussion on two levels about Eddie Howe. There's a discussion about him as manager of the season anyway, and a lot of people are unhappy about it. And then there was this friend of the show, Luke Edwards, led a round of applause for Eddie Howe, probably in the post-match pe- press conference, which seems to have really upset uh, some of his national colleagues. Um, do you think the the kind of talking down of Howe from those people saying, you know, fair, you know, this, this thing's doing a good job, but you cast a lot of 12th, as we, we, we sit here and talk, And also, he had money to spend, and also the squad was underperforming under Bruce. Do you think that's a? Do you think it comes from a, an analytical place, or 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 is this just kind of? Is this how it's going to be now? Is this just all-out war against every aspect of the club, the manager, the fans, the owners, the players? What's your take on that discussion?
2: From a certain section, there seems to be that kind of belligerence towards the towards the club, isn't it? So you know, in the last few weeks, we've had. Obviously, what do you want to call him? Um, everyone's favourite idiot, Barry Glendenning from The Guardian, who's, uh, who's picking fights with fanzine people about what he thinks they should think about their club. Um, you've also had uh, Delaney uh, and uh, Panja, who've been having a pop at um, uh, northeast based journalists after the Chelsea game, and how they were uh, questioning Eddie Howe about football. Um, I mean, just kind of try and get your head, wrap your head around all of this stuff, <laughs> and then we've got uh, Panja. Look, he's dropped drop made a right tit of himself, didn't he? Saying, "I can't remember uh, Sir John Hall doing this." Blah blah blah, and then being bombarded by photos of, of loads of pictures of John, <laughs> John Hall on the pitch wearing Newcastle shirts, etc. And if he'd asked, we could have shown them loads about um, uh, Fat bastard Ashley um, at Arsenal. They'd, you know, wearing a shirt, etc., etc. So, uh, and then the latest one, obviously, was I forget the fella's name now. It's irrelevant to us. Uh, Criticising the journalists for giving the manager a round of applause after a season's work, and uh, and Howe said, you know, we're a of team in this press room, and of course he's right, you know, because they work in the same industry. They've got different objectives, etc. But they work in the same industry. They work cheek by jowl. And I just wonder what these people want. Do they want them to be completely at war with the club all of the time? Which is, which is not really. It would be a pretty unique state of affairs if that was the case. It doesn't happen at any other club. Um, so you know, I just, I just wonder what's going on with a handful of journalists who I think are just a little bit ahead of themselves, self-regarding, pumped up, uh, think they something they're not. And want to um, and want to kind of have this crusade against Newcastle United about the ownership and like look the ownership has got its issues and I um, and I share some concerns about those issues but they're not the people to 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 raise them and I don't know who they think they are and I actually think they're doing the cause that they purport to support an incredible amount of damage because it's alienating our supporters it's making us belligerent uh, against them in particular and they're getting nowhere with this kind of concern that they have about human rights in Saudi Arabia or, or anywhere else and I don't think I don't think the proper organizations like Amnesty International would kind of welcome how they're behaving because they're not really doing anything to project you know progress that cause rather than just kind of make a name for themselves and turn stuff into um into news items and there was no bigger example of that than the stuff around the third strip you know in the real world who cares what does it do Uh, is it sports washing well i think that's overstated i think it's probably commercially savvy to think to have a strip that might go down well in saudi but you know um it's it's kind of one of these things it doesn't really matter and they're missing the big picture, which is, you know, there are concerns about human rights, but it, they just feel to, for me, I'm sorry, I'm going on a bit. They they fail to see the social, economic, cultural and security context which this country is in right now and its relationships with Saudi Arabia, which go back decades and to talk about sports washing about a third strip, etc., I would say it does more for the image of Saudi Arabia when the monarch of that country rides up the in a gold carriage, uh, with uh, and then meets the uh, the Queen at the end of a very, very long red carpet. So I just think it's all bullshit and noise and uh, nonsense uh, and it doesn't do the it doesn't do the cause that they're saying that they support and the human rights that they deplore, like everyone does. Um, uh, it doesn't do it any good.
1: Well said, si, um Unless you want to come back to Mick on anything.
3: No, no, he's absolutely summed it up very well. I, I don't go against Mick on this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then then I'd, I'd say to you, Sai, um, if we move on to a, a whistle stop tour of this podcast, we'll cover us here for some topics. You know, it's not going to be relevant that long because we'll play on Sunday. Um, Sai, we, we, we could finish between fourteenth and tenth. This Sunday, um, are you asked? Does it matter? Uh, do, you know, does top ten matter? Is this a very small step on a much bigger,
3: bigger picture? What, what, what's your thoughts on it? Unsurprisingly, there's a, there's a yes and a no answer to this question because um, for for prestige for the history books, no, nah, it, it doesn't matter. The, the the Premier League table for the last three or four seasons, there's been very little difference between basically ninth and 17th. You either don't get relegated and you finish in that pack or you do get relegated or you're in European contention. Everyone else is almost just other Rams and in 10 years' time, no one will care that Newcastle finished. Wherever we do between 10th and did you say 15th? Whatever's whatever's possible. Um, the, the Premier League is that and it will be next season. There's a, there's a top two, maybe three if, if Chelsea could keep their act together for an entire season. Then there's the next five Who are all in the shout of europe and then there's the bottom 12 you know and we we need to change that to to progress as a club so we need to either break into that at eight in my opinion um or or higher so on the flip side financially yes Uh, i think you always remind everyone of this one i think it's about an extra two million quid for every league place which given that there's lots of talk about financial fair play going on at the minute every little helps in that regard I also think we talked about this with Craig Hope uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and various other shows. I think it's important in terms of attracting players in the summer. Um, I think even a, an, an 11th or 10th place finish is, is is far more attractive to prospective players who maybe don't know an awful lot about Newcastle or the Premier League um, below the top six or seven. A team that's finished 15th in the Premier League versus a team that's finished 11th. I don't know. Maybe that just looks a bit more attractive to the next Bruno who we might be trying to to convince to come to Newcastle United. Um, I think I would also like to see us finish as high as possible this season to rule out that idea that we need another season to consolidate. So if we finish 11th, 10th this season, we don't really need to waste another season doing that whole, oh, it'd be nice to avoid the relegation picture and then just finish 10th. If we're already finishing 11th after Steve Bruce mulled us for half a season, there's no point in finishing 10th again, in my opinion, because as I've just described, finishing 10th ultimately in the current Premier League doesn't mean a lot. So it, I think it's important that we finish the season strongly, finish so far away from the relegation picture that you wouldn't believe that we were even in it so that next season the target is. And maybe that's that that's going to make things more difficult for, for Eddie Howe and the team. It means we're already setting expectations a bit higher, but I think we have to. I think we should. Um, so, yeah, uh, for those reasons, it does matter. Although, on paper, in the season 21-22, the league position isn't that important.
1: Makes sense. You're right. There's £10 million, actually. I think it's £2.5 quid a position. So it's, it's £10 million between 14th and 10th. I think, before I bring Mick in, I think it doesn't matter really that much apart from the money. Having said that, uh, Eddie Howe and his team have been so good that it's just a, it's another little thing ticked off, isn't it? Eddie Howe has had one... Season as a manager in the Premier League, he finished ninth with Bournemouth. So he's had one top, top, top ten finish. Would it be great for him to get another? Um, the players will want to end on a high, so they're going to want to end, a, you know, end as high up the table as possible. But also to to kind of counter that, do you remember uh, last day of 2010-11, Pardew was in charge, and we're three nil up at halftime against West Brom. If we'd held on to that, we would have finished eighth, as it was finished thirteenth. So tight was the table. I think about the you know the years that followed would have been no different if Newcastle finished 8th that season. All it would have been is a, an extra string to Pardrew's bow when people defended him in the media. That was, that was literally all that would matter. So I, I, as much as I want to beat Burnley, and I'm kind of indifferent about who gets relegated, they're both close to us, so I wish neither were getting relegated. But um, I want to win and I want to finish in the top 10, but I think next season, whether, whether Newcastle finished 14th or 10th, will be next season and it will go the way it's going to go regardless of how we finish. Mick, what do you think about this one? How asked are you?
2: Uh, I'm always asked. I, I want Newcastle to win football matches, and I think we will win on Sunday. Um, I think we'll go there, uh, and, I think we'll, uh, and I think we'll beat Burnley. And, uh, and I also think that's the right thing for us to have as our mindset, because there's the integrity of the Premier League to think about. Um, English football is in, incredibly um, competitive, and I think every game has to be competitive and we have to be fair on Leeds. Um, so we have to give our, give our best um, uh, when we play Burnley, uh, just like Brentford have to give their best against uh, Leeds for, for Burnley. So uh, in terms of the league position, um, I agree, I think we should, if we finish higher than where we are and we're perhaps 10th or even 9th, it's possible, isn't it? You know, if we were to get to that point, um, I think that's a real feather in the club's cap, and it just—it's a mood changer, I think. So you know, when we go out to uh, try and sign players, and the more and more I think of it, the more I can't get my head around how um, Bruno Gomez <laughs> is a Newcastle player, given we signed him when we were bloody in the bottom three or or close to it. Um, if we can say we're tenth, and we can point to the upward trajectory that the, that the club is on. Um, then I think we're an easier sell to a certain category of player. Um, so I do think it helps in that regard. The financials, uh, not to be sniffed at as well. If it's a mil- difference of 10 million quid, a, a hell of a lot of money. You know, We could sign a good player for that. If we're talking about target for 13 million, there's his fee sorted so, um, in the in the main. So I don't sniff at the money. I think the prestige of the club will benefit from being in that position. And likewise, we're going to next season knowing that actually what we need to do is to replicate the points total of this season and add maybe 10, 15 points. And then we're in a, you know, we're looking at perhaps top eight. Um, And that, that is, I think that's where we, the more I think about it, that's where we've got to be looking at next season, top eight.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think um, just uh, would have to win nineteen nil, Mick, to finish ninth. So it is mathematically right. possible, but nineteen nil with Leicester losing. But uh so you can I'm, dream.
2: Hopeless. I'm hopeless with the data. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm reminded can, that at work as
3: well. We can dream. Yeah. Uh, just a, a couple of final things on this. So yes, I think um, we're playing Burnley, who've who've still probably need a result, just like Arsenal on um, on Monday. I think it's really important that we continue to demonstrate that these games where. Everyone's rooting for the other team because they've got so much to play for and we're winning them. You know, in the in the, the games where it's scripted for the other team to, to get something to win, we're upsetting that. We're not just the team that everyone expects to beat. I think it's important to keep to keep making that 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 happen. Um and I had another point, but it's it's left me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just think there's, there's so many reasons for us to for us to keep winning games. Um it's it, it's 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 yeah.
0: Um
3: Burnley is another one that, for me, why why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we try and win? Um, oh, I've I've remembered. I was gonna I was gonna bring up Steve Bruce again. So if we win this game against Burnley, that's forty nine points. So that would be um, forty four points f- just for Eddie Howe in the time he's been in charge. That's basically the same as Bruce got the last two seasons. You know, so matching that with ten games less or eleven games less with a hamstrung team as bad as it was it 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 looks so good and I would really like him to be able to say that and to be able to say that myself. So yeah, that's one last motivation. Selfishly for me, another dagger in Steve Bruce.
1: <laughs> It'll always be the great what if in summer 2019 when Newcastle have a, a riotous day in West London at Fulham on the River Thames and, you know, Newcastle's end of season form was so good, the weather was so good that day, the result, the performance Everything was great. And then then it all, it pretty much from the final whistle, all went to shit from there pretty much until the day of the takeover this season. And I just, you know, I'm well, I'm going to the game, so I'm really, really hopeful of, of another, I don't think the weather's going to be quite as good, but another, you know, unbelievable away and unbelievable victory in day. And then it just, everyone just kind of bounces into into the summer, which which is going to happen anyway and be really positive. But Meg, I do like your point that the standard's been set. Eddie Howe is, has only lost games. Um, to team, the only team he's lost to who who you wouldn't describe as a good side this season are Everton. That's the only team. Yeah. Um, all of the other sides and I include Leicester, Leicester, who is a hard game for anyone. The rest of the top six, that's it. So, it w- you know, he, he'll be aware of that and to go and lose to a team like Burnley, who are a poor side, um, I don't think he would be happy with that and I think it would take the end of the season from slightly so. You know, I think we'll go and win. I agree with you, Mick. I think we'll go and win. And I think it'll be a good day. And if we can get 10th place and a few other results have to go our way, like you say, Si, you're heading into next season as a team already um, established in the top 10 of the Premier League. And going back to the argument, uh, you know, the argument of someone like Miguel Delaney, who says that Howe's done a decent job, but the squad he inherited um, was mid table um, and that they basically performed to their level. Well, Newcastle have been the third best team in the Premier League since January um, you know the third best team in the Premier League should win at Burnley and and like I said Monday night was a statement performance and I think I think the country were a little bit shocked by that performance it was on Sky um, now all of a sudden I've seen Jamie Carragher this week reference Newcastle as a potential top four contender he wasn't doing that before Monday night because Newcastle hadn't beaten anyone it hadn't beaten a good side so you know, I, I think you you have to follow that up and that we all we all have to get used to the new era and the new era of expectation and, and that that goes the same for the players and the the managers. Alex,
2: I don't I don't think you can take people like Delaney seriously anymore. I think they've cashed out in terms of being objective football analysts when it comes to Newcastle United. So having that kind of meanness of spirit towards Eddie Howe just you know, because of, you know, what the, what they think the club is now. And they're entitled to think that, but when it comes to analysing the performance of Of coaches and uh, and footballers that just, that seems to me that they've kind of lost any credibility to be taken seriously the fact of of the matter is is that uh, in the time that Howe has been there the players are fitter, they're more focused, players who looked dead on their feet, shot to pieces we wanted shot of them and no more so than myself, the likes of Joe Linton, Shelby Willick um, Emil Kraft they didn't look like footballers. They weren't fit. They weren't focused. And all, and the other thing about that was our whole game plan was just to sit on the edge of the box and try and uh, and try and stop the other team playing. We were awful to watch. And on Monday night we had loads of the ball. You know we had more possession than Arsenal, who were really you know some extremely talented players in that Arsenal side. And I, and I think if you had put somebody down who didn't know the the league and said which one of these teams is going for fourth and which one of them is 14th currently, um, I think they would have have picked Newcastle as being the fourth best team.
1: Totally agree. Let's finish the show by talking about tickets. Mm. Uh, This might not apply to everyone listening because you might not be in the United Kingdom, you might not go to games, you might have a season ticket already and you and all your mates might have season tickets, so you're fine. But I can tell you um, personally, and at the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, we are inundated, inundated with fans, um, desperate to know what the situation is with season tickets next season. Not just season tickets, tickets in general. It is a massive source of anxiety for a lot of people. The club, I hope, I assume, are going to release something on this soon. In fact, I think they put a communication out yesterday saying they were going to you know, let fans know what's happening. Obviously, we are still in this season, so uh, most Premier League clubs probably discuss next season's tickets after this After this season is over. What I want to talk to you two about is what how it should be, in your opinion, and what might happen next. Because I don't think it's an exaggeration. Sandy Castle could sell an extra 20,000 season tickets. The, the, the demand is there. Even me, and I have no influence on anything, the amount of emails, DMs, WhatsApps I get from people who I might have communicated in the past about the pledge scheme or something... Can you help us out with a season ticket? How do I get a season ticket? Are they going to do it on purchase history? Are they, Are you? Good? Do you have to queue up at the box office to get it? Are they going to release it in? You know, because so, this is an interesting conversation for you do make me and you a season ticket holders. Sorry, si, you're not. Um, Sorry, si, if I start with you, mate. I assume you want a season ticket this summer. Um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on it? And, and do you think that? What? What? The, the big question is: Should they just go to everybody, or should it? Should Should there be a priority for people? who had a season ticket and gave it up at some point in the Ashley era. What, after you tell us if you, you want a season ticket or not, what's your views on that? Which is the big question, I think, for a lot of fans.
3: Yeah, of, of course I do. And and you're all welcome for that me and uh, 10,000 others gave up our season tickets when Steve <laughs> Bruce got the job and uh, made all of this possible. Um, look, it, Ashley, it's...
1: Ashley was going to say no to 305 million quid, wasn't he? If you, if you <laughs> exactly.
3: You're absolutely right. Um he was he was worried about the uh, the long term prospects of not taking that deal because of the ten thousand. Uh, <laughs> no, look, it's 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 a very very difficult question to answer because I don't want to come down. There's there's arguments for all of it. There's arguments that those people who um, walked away do have an affinity with the club, and, and there was negotiations with the the sports trust as well about whether or not we could submit a list of those people and their loyalty points and all of that, and whether the uh, the new owners would consider that. Um, I wouldn't be against that. I didn't even have that many loyalty points. It's not about the loyalty points for me. It's about whether or not I could even get a ticket for home games because you're absolutely right. It's going to be difficult. Um, How many seasons do you go back would then be the question because there's people who walked away as soon as as, as Ashley fell out with Keegan and rightly so, some would say. And I, I think everyone is entitled to make the decisions they did and I don't think that makes anyone less of a fan than the ones that kept going in my opinion. So it is a very, very difficult question to answer and hard to answer without someone feeling aggrieved or th- that it's not fair. And I totally understand the, the argument for all those people who kept going the whole time, that they're absolutely the, the, the first priority. Now, this is, this is not enough. You, you, there's, there won't even be 10,000 season tickets that you can give back to those people that just quit under Bruce. So I genuinely don't know how they solve this, this problem. I think there should always be a small number of tickets available for general sale. Cause you want kind of, kids to get their first experience of the match you want you want new people to come along you don't necessarily want it to be a closed a closed book but equally like you say they could sell as many season tickets as needed and th- those same people would turn up every week now <laughs> whereas i think i the even the staunchest of people who kept their ticket the whole time would admit to letting other people take the ticket from time to time under Ashley those days are gone if you, if if people are in Newcastle with their ticket they're going to the game again they're not they're not seeing if anyone else fancies it um, So, yes, uh, I I said it's an important selfishly. I would like whatever system allows me to get my ticket back to to be put in place, but I can totally understand why maybe just make it start start afresh, give everyone a chance, make it a ballot, make it some give everyone the opportunity. Because I think there will be people who've there'll be 10 years worth of new fans who've just rekindled or just kind of discovered their love of Newcastle who should have found that much much earlier but because of Mike actually didn't get a chance to fall in love with the club and in the last six months people who maybe have made it to their mid-20s without really giving a shit about Newcastle suddenly give a shit and they're entitled also to to get involved and and be on that list of people who could get tickets the solution is a bigger stadium isn't it (laughs) it's gonna have to be and how they get to that solution whether it is possible with St James's Park or by moving it I do not know nor do I want to give an opinion on that because that'll split people too um Ultimately, I don't think I've answered your question because it's a very, very difficult question to answer.
1: It is a difficult question. That's why we're um, that's why we're talking. on before I bring Mick in, just so people know as well, uh, I believe that the the waiting list for a corporate box at the club is now over three hundred people. Now, if you consider wow. that, like no one, I assume, has given up a box, um, you know, good luck, lads. Three hundred years uh, before you you get into St James's Park, in terms of the current rate of cancellations. Um, corporate hospitality at the club has been a way for some people to get tickets if they're willing to pay a bit more than going through general sale. Um, I believe again that there's a massive, you know, huge demand for corporate hospitality. It's not just season tickets. Um, prices are going up at corporate hospitality. Um and unlike season tickets, other so there's been an argument season tickets have gone up for some people. Mick, it's it is a difficult question. What what do you think is the best way to approach this from the club's point of view? What do you think is fair?
2: Well, I think there's kind of short, medium, and long-term answers to it, isn't there? So um, I think the long-term answer is what size just hit on, and that's increasing the capacity to match the demand. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And whether or not that can be done on the current site of St. James's Park or whether or not they have to move uh, is a a moot point. Uh, None of us on this call are architects or engineers, um, but me. Having spent more time wandering around St James's Park, looking at it and, or practically, touching it, caressing it, and kissing it, from <laughs> <around laughs> time to, over many many years, I, I exaggerate, uh, listeners. Um, then, I, I, knowing the site as we all do, uh, I just find it very difficult to imagine how they can expand it in the way that they in, in the way that they need to. Strangely enough, I had a conversation with. A lad I know on Monday night who I saw at half time who I used to go to school with actually so, you know days of chalk and blackboards, um, and, uh, and and him and I were talking about what the capacity of the stadium might be and I thought, I think that they needn't go any higher than sixty five thousand, and he was kind of uh, telling me I was talking rubbish that it needed it needed to be greater so I had a friendly bit of banter about that, and then I've heard things this week. Uh, like Alex has just touched upon with 300 boxes wanted um, from the, from the Northeast. Remember that that number is, isn't 300 people. It's 300 boxes, which is probably more than the current number of boxes that they've got in totality. So um, it's not, it's, it's, it puts into pick picked in perspective, the amount of corporate demand that there is. So I look at St. James's Park and I think there's no way they can accommodate that on the current site. Uh, and it's so important for them to do that. So, Mayu is. I was. I was sixty-five thousand capacity on Monday night at half time talking to me pal, and I'm kind of here. I am on Friday evening talking about it, and I'm actually convinced that they need to go to seventy-five thousand, be bigger than Old Trafford, um, because they're fifty-two thousand now, and they could sell. I think they could sell thirteen, fourteen, fifteen thousand season tickets in a week additional to what they've got that would take us up to 65,000 and then what we haven't got which a lot of clubs have got and I was down at Man- Manchester a couple of weeks ago for the the game at Man City and and that place is teeming with tourists we know Arsenal's the same we know um West Ham's the same and and we haven't got that um that level of support uh and I think um in the Twenty-eight year old me would have hated myself for saying this. I think we need to bring that kind of level of support in as well, so that we can expand the support from within the region and across the country, and maybe from abroad as well. well That's the name of the game. Um, so seventy-five thousand all of a sudden doesn't sound so fanciful, does it? If we can sell sixty-five thousand out in in the region in the northeast, then I don't think it's fanciful thereafter. So that's the long-term one. Um, the short term solution, I think, is to uh, not do what we did under Hall, uh, when we exploded in under Kevin Keegan in 92-93 season, and just have a complete season ticket sellout. I think there needs to be tickets set aside for um, for people to buy on a match day, and I also think the need to um, to be more prescriptive about that and have. Um, kind of a family, more family ticket related so uh, parents can take their children to Newcastle and they might not get there every season, uh, every game um, but they'll get there uh, occasionally and they'll form that connection with the club and that they should be in that uh, scheme to do that. Uh, but I also think that people who should be at the front of the queue for tickets are those people who've had season tickets for many, many years prior to chucking them uh, and I think we all talk. We all know people like that. Maybe that's you, Si, as well. Uh, maybe you fall into that category. I know people who've done that and a few lads in particular who I thought were Newcastle United through and through and all. Um, but, you know, this season, the season before last draw, they just could not cope with uh, what had happened with Rafa walking away. And remember, there was a campaign um, to encourage people to pack season tickets in. Uh, and it was never to leave the club. It was just to leave Ashley so I think they should perhaps come into consideration to be front in front of the queue um and related to the, the years that they've had a season ticket prior. Um and, and they maybe should get first dibs. Medium term, um I think if we're not able to accommodate everyone, I think there needs to be a membership scheme so that everyone gets a fair crack at it.
1: Yep, all interesting points. Um Before I give my view on the the immediate and the short-term solutions, um, your point about capacities and interest in one, and this is what I've said to a few people this season who've laughed at me when I said I think Newcastle could go bigger than Old Trafford now. Um, If you think Newcastle are selling out on Monday night against Arsenal at home, yes, it's, um, it's, it's the last home game of the season. But Newcastle don't advertise tickets. So Man City and Man United advertise their tickets on the radio. On national radio, because they have to let people know the game's going on to sell them. Newcastle, the only way to buy a ticket for Newcastle this season, uh, you either have to be a pre-existing member, and I don't think they've sold membership since before the pandemic. In fact, I, I know they haven't. Or you have to know a season ticket holder, which is pretty unfair if you think about it. Um, I don't know how they've got themselves in that position, but, you know, pandemic, um, sale of the club, Ashley being Ashley in the way around the club... Most football clubs, to say, you have to know a season ticket holder pretty much, because not be loads of members would struggle to sell out grounds. So you know, if if, if Mick or sorry, si, if 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 you know someone, or si, if one of your mates doesn't know a season ticket holder, and he isn't, a, he wasn't a member in 2019 or 2018, there was simply no way to buy a ticket at St James's Park since the takeover. They've got to change that. That that's too exclusionary. I also think they have to try and appreciate that younger people aren't going to might not be in the financial position to buy tickets for something like five weeks in advance and they probably won't do this because most businesses and football clubs they can sell the tickets they just will but also i think back to when i was in my late teens early 20s and i worked shifts and i didn't know what my shifts were going to be until the week before the match so you, you know you're completely excluding i think a lot of people are currently excluded just just through circumstance, and I think the club have got to work hard to, to, to recognise the only way we'll be able to grow is for for young people, particularly new people, you know, I'm talking kids at the minute who might support Man City within the region because Newcastle just been so shit for so long. You know, loads of parents I've spoken to, and I don't know whether it's the same for you two, have said they found it really difficult to get their kid into Newcastle United because what selling points has there been apart from you were born here? Um You've got to give people a chance to go, and you don't want to be leaving it to get in a league cup game or a friendly, which is not the same as a Premier League game. Um, you, you you don't want to attract these new people through success or through whatever we're going to do, and also exclude them at the first time to, to the extent that they end up giving up. So I think that's really a really important point. That's away from season tickets. So they've got to. I think they should keep some tickets back for, for members and release a thousand tickets, say, the week before the game. But whether they do that, I don't know. The season tickets problem, um, it's a nice problem for the club to have. The easy thing for them to do is just release them on general sale because then you say everyone gets a shot. You don't upset anyone. Yes, people like yourself, Mick, and you've just argued size case there, many others. And there are a lot of people that I speak to who say the people who, who who had season tickets for 10, 15, 20, 25 years um, – they deserve kind of a front of the queue, a bit like the loyalty point system. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how how I've got our tickets for Burnley on on Sunday because we've beaten more away games than other people. So so I I do understand the argument. Why shouldn't it apply for for season tickets? You know, fair enough, good argument. But I also think there's a lot of young people who have only known Ashley and might not have wanted to get a season ticket because it's been so easy to get tickets for games. The club have been doing a Sunderland in recent years with freebies. Um, freebies to students mm. and, and schools and stuff like that, freebies to 10,000 people under Steve mm. Bruce before the pandemic. I also feel you don't want to just cut those people out completely, or people who who might, you know, I mean, we're going back to Newcastle being any good, I mean, any good, you know, 2011-12, we're all right under Rafa Benitez and Spells, 2017-2018, maybe a bit of 2019 you know that's that's three three to five years ago. There's a lot of there's a lot of people who were 16, 17, 18 then who might not have been in the financial position to have a season ticket. And if you just go back to well, you need you needed to have a season ticket for 10 years to get a season ticket now because there's no there's going to be no more season tickets coming up next season. If you, mm. if you get in this summer, you're set for life, assuming all that you know happens that will want to happen in terms of the club's progression. And I just worry there's a lot of people who might be permanently locked out who who did who didn't have the chance through age, through money, through circumstance to have a ticket before it's really really hard one i think they will just go for the easy option which is general sale get yourself on that website at 10 a.m queue up at the box office you know overnight people will do that if they if they really season tickets um and you can get them from the box office people will queue up overnight i've no doubt about it whatsoever um i don't know if you just want to say you know come in on anything i've said there Um, they're gonna
3: they're gonna need like thirty-five more servers for that website to to work. If they do that, it'll yeah. it'll kill it. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's it's a really really difficult one, isn't it? When demand is so is so hard, and and there w- and there will be, you know, I, I've articulated the claim, you know, similar to SAI, which is about you know people who had previously had season tickets, and I'm I'm thinking of two or three people that I know in particular who you know, had been who've been going since the early seventies and had season tickets for over thirty-five years, who, you know, just got at the end of the rag with 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 Bruce when Rafa left. Uh, sorry, with Ashley when, when Rafa left. Uh and and because they're friends of mine, good friends, I want them to come back to the match. And that's kind of maybe not the right mindset to be in. You need to be objective. It's very, very difficult. In the long term, I think the long term solution has to be a bigger ground. And whether or not that's at St James's Park, we all want it to be at St James's Park for emotional and traditional reasons. But if it can't be there, then I think we have to bite the bullet. And I think the club has to has to think about moving to a, a new stadium where they can pull in seventy seventy five thousand because that's where the demand is. And I think there are three mega clubs in this country. Who have massive support. Manchester United is one, clearly. And Liverpool is the other. And we're the third. I really do think that. Uh, we I might put Arsenal into that picture as well, because they're the biggest club in London traditionally. Um and I know Spurs fans would be seeing uh, something different and they'd have a, they'd have a, a good claim. They're a very well supported football club, but I think the three mega clubs are us, Liverpool, and Man United. Totally
1: agree. I think we'll leave it there then for this week. It's been a good chat, lads. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks to everyone who listens. Um, We'll be back with the free show after Burnley, probably on Monday night. Uh, Before then, you can hear more podcasts. You can hear the Match Day podcast from Burnley, plus maybe an instant reaction from me, signing the lads on the way back from Burnley. Join us on Patreon for all of that. £6.60 a month. Remember, we're at the stand Tuesday night, 24th, end of season, uh, live podcast talking. Um, Join myself uh, George Colkin, Mark Douglas, and Craig Hope. For that, tickets are 15 quid. Find the link in the description of this podcast. Speak to you all soon. ta